Okay, God, help me. Please pray with me. Father God, you are holy, holy, holy. You are a righteous king and a sovereign Lord. You reign over all things. There is no other God like you. Oh, Father, I praise you as my strength and my sustainer, my rock and my redeemer. As I open your word, I pray that you would empty me of all of me and Holy Spirit that you would fill me with your power to teach your word. I pray that you would illuminate your word for your people and that God, you would show us your glory. This we ask in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, amen. Are you free, truly free? In 1956, a lioness named Elsa was born free in the wilderness, but she was raised in captivity by Joy and George Adamson. George worked as a game warden in Kenya. On the hunt for a man-eating lion, he was attacked by a lioness protecting her three cubs. He was forced to kill her, leaving Elsa and the two other cubs orphaned. Adamson and his wife took them in, weaned them, and cared for them as pets. It wasn't long before it was impossible to keep them. So two of the cubs were sent to live in a zoo, but they kept the smallest cub and named her Elsa. As Elsa matured into a lioness, Joy and George allowed her greater and greater freedom away from their property. Eventually, this got her in trouble. She was blamed for causing an elephant stampede in a nearby village, and the Adamsons were ordered to either train her to live in the wild or send her to a zoo. Joy decided to retrain Elsa to live in the wild. A great deal of work was required to train Elsa to defend herself and feed herself. Elsa's story is recounted by Joy in a book entitled Born Free. Unlike Elsa, all human beings are not born free. We are all born slaves to our sin nature. We are all slaves to someone or something. In Christ, we are reborn free, spiritually speaking. But as former captives to sin, we must learn to live free. We have to train ourselves to let go of sinful habits and sinful thoughts that hold us captive so that we can embrace the grace of the gospel. We must learn that Christ set us free to live free. That's Paul's message to the Galatian believers as well as to every believer who struggles to walk in liberty. The truth we will explore in Galatians chapter 5 verses 1 through 15 is that Christ sets us free to live free. Our three divisions list three enemies of Christian liberty. To live free, there must be no legalism, no leaven, 
and no license. So our first division is no legalism, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. If you open your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This verse is a key verse in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Paul wants them and us to live free. Christ saved us to be free. Yet walking in freedom is a daily struggle. So Paul urges us to stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because this is what we do. We shun grace and work instead to gain God's favor. Like the Galatians, we want to be right with God on our own terms. This is called self-righteousness. And it is, it is no righteousness at all. And it is certainly not the liberty that is found in Christ. Paul discussed the freedom that belongs to every child of God in Galatians chapters 3 and 4. He called the Galatians out for living as slaves, not sons, because they were returning to the slavery of idols, the law, and the elementary principles of the world. Paul urges them, do not do it. Live free. Christ set you free to live free. The Galatians were not living out the freedom Christ died to give them because they were listening to a message of bondage that said that salvation requires circumcision and following the law of Moses. Paul is rightly concerned that the Galatians were going to slip back into slavery and the consequences of doing so are fatal. First, Paul says that Jesus Christ can no longer do them any good. Verse 2, he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, to accept circumcision as a way of salvation is to say that Christ is not enough. What he accomplished on the cross is insufficient. You have to help him accomplish your salvation from sin with your own works. The problem with that is determining when that is sufficient. Jesus Christ's work is enough. It stands alone as a sacrifice sufficient enough to appease God's wrath toward our sin. John Calvin said that whoever wants half of Christ loses the whole. That is so very true. Paul agrees. The second fatal consequence of a works-based salvation is that you must obey all the law. Verse 3, Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Paul has already spoken about the folly of such an effort 
In Galatians 3, verse 10, he taught that no one can keep the law with the perfection God demands. The third fatal consequence of trying to earn your salvation is that it cuts you off from the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse 4, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Paul uses strong words here, severed, fallen away. Some believe that this means you can lose your salvation. This is not what Paul is saying. No one who is truly in Christ can ever lose his or her salvation. But Thomas Schreiner says that Paul is asserting that if the Galatians return to legalism, if they accept circumcision and the law, they will fall away from grace. They will be estranged from Christ because they are attempting to accomplish their own salvation instead of trusting in the grace and mercy of Christ. Law and grace are polar opposites. The law tries to find righteousness by doing and, and obeying. Grace and Christ bestow righteousness as a gift. If the Galatians accept circumcision, they abandon grace and Christ. In all his writings, Paul repeatedly teaches that we cannot justify ourselves by our good works. Jesus Christ is the sole source of freedom. And he sets us free to live free, not to live in bondage to the law. Paul shifts attention now to those who truly belong to God in verse 5. He says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We become justified or right in God's sight by faith alone. Note Paul's use of the word wait. God gives his righteousness to those who wait for it in faith. It is a gift of grace given to every believer at conversion. The moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is credited to our account. This means that the the, the life that he lived in perfect obedience to the law becomes our life of perfect obedience to the law. When God sees us, he no longer sees our sin. He sees us covered in Christ's robe of righteousness. This is necessary because God is holy, just, good, and infinitely pure. Because he is, he must be opposed to all sin. And that opposition to sin must be demonstrated in his treatment of his creatures. To say that God is righteous means he consistently does what is right without partiality or prejudice. And that his character or nature always leads him to do that which is right. His righteousness can be defined as his holiness 
in action. Because God is righteous, God is not measured by the standard of righteousness. He sets the standard of righteousness. Scripture teaches that in Christ, we have been justified, declared not guilty of our sin, and righteous before God. We are now being sanctified, progressively being conformed into the image of Christ. This is a lifelong process in which we appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer sin's present power over us. This is the crux of what Paul is teaching the Galatians and us. We have living within us the ability to live free from the bondage of sin. Christ set us free to live free. And as we walk by faith, we live out the liberty that is ours in Christ. Verse 6 explains why believers wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The false message of the false teachers is empty. Circumcision and even uncircumcision are irrelevant with regard to salvation. The Galatians were in danger of trading in the faith, hope, and love that was theirs in Christ for the bondage of fear and the despair of the law. Circumcision is slavery, but the true Christian lives a life of love and liberty that comes by faith. This faith is living and active and powerful. It expresses itself in love. This teaches us that loving service is the fruit or the result of faith. In short, Christ sets us free to express our faith through loving service. That's our first truth. Christ sets us free to express our faith through loving service. What are some specific ways you are using your freedom in Christ to point others to Him? How could you begin to show the love of Christ through your actions? I do not know if Joy Adamson was a Christian, but her faith in Elsa moved her to selflessly and lovingly work long and hard toward the goal of freeing her. In much the same way, genuine Christian faith is a faith that works. Spiritually, believers are reborn free. We are new creations filled with the breath touch of God and equipped to love Him and others in tangible ways. Freed in Christ and filled with God's love, we express our faith through loving service. Paul continues to urge the Galatians to flee the legalism that threatened their freedom in Christ. 
In our next division, he warns against the dangers of allowing even the smallest amount of false teaching to infiltrate their lives. So our second division is no leaven. Galatians chapter 5 verses 7 through 12. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The Galatians had experienced the, the, the pleasure of running free in Christ. As soon as they received the good news of the cross and the empty tomb, they were off to the races. They knew the joy of true liberation from bondage to sin. But little by little, false teaching crept in to entice them back into bondage. Reborn free in Christ, these former slaves were at risk of falling headlong back into slavery. Paul asked, who hindered you from obeying the truth? The truth he is referring to is the truth of the gospel, the good news of salvation from sin and death through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This truth is not simply head knowledge. It is a truth to be practiced. What we believe, we do. John Stott says it well. He says, our creed is expressed in our conduct, and our conduct is derived from our creed. Paul knew the answer to his question. The Judaizers, the source of legalism. But on a deeper level, legalism is of the devil. It is not of God. Verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Now God is the one who called the Galatians to himself by grace. Keeping the law rather than obeying and believing and obeying the gospel cut them off from this grace. Therefore, such a message could not possibly come from God. Ultimately, the message of legalism is demonic not divine. It comes from the father of lies, the devil. He is the persuasion the Galatians were heeding, and he was rapidly infiltrating their church. Paul quotes a well-known proverb to show that legalism is always lethal. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul uses a baking analogy. When baking bread, a small amount of yeast leavens or raises a large amount of dough. Just as the yeast works its way through an entire batch of dough, a pinch of law completely contaminates the whole gospel. The yeast of the Judaizers was the false teaching that in addition to believing in Jesus Christ, one must be circumcised to be saved from sin. This one error in thinking may have seemed small, but it would lead the entire Galatian church into negating the entire gospel. With their freedom in Christ threatened, 
the Galatians needed to remember that Christ set them free to live free. Paul believes they will remember. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Paul trusts that the Lord would bring the Galatians back to his view of the gospel of free grace. He is equally confident that those preaching this false gospel would bear the penalty for doing so. One day, they would have to answer to the Lord God Almighty for troubling his bride, the church. The word penalty means divine judgment. Paul has in mind the final judgment, a day when every error will be exposed and God's truth will finally reign in every heart and every mind. These false teachers would be judged for every false word. Paul would not and did not teach this false gospel. To prove this, he raises another question. Verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Preaching circumcision was really the path of least resistance for Paul. He was a Jew. If he simply preached circumcision like the Judaizers and maintained that strict barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, he would avoid persecution. But he refused to allow any leaven in his gospel. And the Jews hated his law-free gospel. They followed him everywhere he went and persecuted him. Paul says that the persecution he experienced proves he did not preach circumcision. He preached that Christ's finished work on the cross is the only work necessary for salvation. To preach the cross is to preach salvation in Christ alone. And this kind of preaching is offensive. It invites ridicule hardship, persecution, and even death. Paul experienced this every time he preached the gospel and would ultimately give his life for the gospel. In saying the cross is an offense, Paul uses the Greek word scandal, which literally means a stumbling block. In the ancient world, the cross of Jesus was a major stumbling block block. Dying on a cross was offensive, scandalous to both Romans and Jews. The cross is offensive to people today. People do not like to admit that they are sinners in need of a Savior. The cross is also offensive because its claim is exclusive. How willing are you to be offensive for Christ? Many Christians avoid being offensive for Christ by allowing just a tiny bit of leaven in their gospel. They water it down. They take out 
the bad parts. They preach the gospel of love, but leave out sin. Calling someone a sinner is too offensive. But believing in Christ crucified for your salvation is a vital component of the true gospel, not circumcision. Christ sets us free to live free. For Paul and for every true believer, circumcision is offensive. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now that's a little aggressive for Paul. He is addressing the political subversives fomenting rebellion in the church and unsettling the Galatian believers. This unsettles Paul to the point of making the rudest and crudest comment in all of his writings. Yet the Holy Spirit saw fit to keep it in the Bible. Commentators believe this is because he is referring to a spiritual work, not a physical act. In his day, some pagan religions required ritual castration of its priest. He is telling the men who preach castration, I mean, circumcision that they might as well become pagan priests. Another view is that Paul was referring to the Old Testament law that says that eunuchs were not allowed to enter the temple. Telling the Judaizers to emasculate themselves means that they should be cut off from the church. This is the reality of all who remain in bondage to the law. Cut off from the church of God. They are not free. They are enslaved. And leaven is infiltrating their lives. But Christ sets believers free to live free. He gives us the Holy Spirit to help us to learn God's truth and discern false teaching. This helps us keep the leaven out of our lives and frees us to pursue holiness instead. Our second truth is that Christ frees us to obey the truth of the gospel by pursuing holiness. In what ways is the truth of the gospel transforming you? What holy habits do you possess? How faithful are you to train your mind with the truth about the holiness of God? When Joy Adamson learned she needed to release Elsa into the wild, she began to train her. Elsa needed lion skills to live in a lion world. She needed to be transformed from a captive lion into a free lion. In the same way, believers need God skills to survive in this world where the devil still wreaks havoc. As we pursue holiness, we are transformed from captive sinner to liberated child of God. Christ sets us free from working for our salvation to working out our salvation 
with holy habits like prayer, worship, Bible study, and fellowship with the body of Christ. Every believer must be pursuing and growing in holiness. Christ set us free to obey the truth of the gospel by pursuing holiness. Paul argued that legalism and leaven threatened Christian liberty. Now, he says license does the same. Our third division is no license. Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 15. License is most simply defined as loose living. The dictionary defines license as disregard of the law, abuse of freedom. Paul combats license by reminding the Galatians of their freedom and what it means. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul tenderly calls the Galatians brothers. He is united to them in Christ. They are family, a family called to freedom. Paul warns his brothers not to use their freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is license. The word flesh refers to our fallen, sinful condition, the unspiritual life that is drawn to sin. We must not allow sin to use the freedom that is ours in Christ to satisfy our sinful desires. Some people believe that once they receive Christ's forgiveness for their sins, all subsequent, subsequent sins are covered. Well, this is true. However, it does not mean that we can sin as much as we please since it's already forgiven. Using our freedom to indulge the flesh enslaves us to sin once again. Believers must resist the temptation to indulge their sin nature. Freedom from the law does not mean we can do whatever we want. This is not why Christ set us free. True Christian liberty is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Those who are truly free in Christ acknowledge the liberator and worship him for the outpouring of his amazing grace. And this freedom manifests itself as a different kind of slavery. Believers are slaves to righteousness, and they serve one another in love. Verse 14 continues this teaching using Jesus' words. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God freed us from slavery to sin by purchasing us with the precious blood of his one and only beloved son. We belong to him. Once slaves to sin, Christ sets us free to be slaves to righteousness. And his slaves 
our beloved children and heirs to the throne. His children are being conformed into the image of Jesus. Therefore, they love one another. They love their neighbors. They love themselves. And they love God. The flip side is hinted at in verse 15. Verse 15 shows us the devastating effects that legalism was already having on the Galatian church. It says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The legalism the Judaizers taught exacerbated ethnic tensions in the young church. The Galatians were indulging in quarrels and quibbles, disputes and dissensions. Paul was concerned that all their bickering would split the church killing their Christian witness and fellowship. The contrast is clear. Slaves to legalism harm and divide the church. But true Christians belong to God. They are His slaves, commanded to fulfill the entire law by loving one another. Christ has set us free to be slaves to righteousness. That's our third truth. Christ sets us free to be slaves to righteousness. Whose slave are you? Sins or God's? How are you walking in obedience to God's commands and call on your life? In Romans chapter 6 verse 17, Paul writes, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Christ is the Lord and Master of your life. You are His slave. For believers, this is not optional. As a child of God, you and I must obey Him for His glory and for our good. Are you free? Truly free? The lioness Elsa was born free. During her time with the Adamsons, she was treated more like a beloved pet than a wild animal. However, she was not free. She had a master. She was a wild animal kept captive by benevolent captors. The opposite is true of those who have not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are being held captive by a malevolent captor sin. Those who have received Christ as their personal Lord and Savior have been set free, but they bow to a biblical definition of freedom. Theologian John Stott says the best and truest freedom is freedom from my silly little self in order to live responsibly in love for God and others. I think Paul would agree with that. Christ has set us free 
to live free. After a great deal of work with Elsa, the Adamsons knew for certain she had been successfully trained when they left her in the wild for a week and returned to find that she had killed an antelope. Elsa's story in Born Free ends with the news that the lioness had joined a pride and had three cubs of her own. Does your story end with you being reborn free in Christ? In you joining the body of Christ and making disciples of Jesus Christ? It will if you begin now to live liberated in Christ. He sets us free to live free. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, you are righteous in all of your ways and kind in all your works. You are the rock. Your work is perfect for all your ways are justice. You are a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright are you, Lord. We exalt you in your holiness, perfection, and goodness as we see how far, far we fall short of your holy standard. Our need for a Savior is great, and we praise you that in Christ Jesus, day after day, we receive his righteous gift. That gift alone makes sinners like us worthy of an intimate relationship with our holy God. We stand amazed, Lord, amazed. Grow us in holiness, Holy Spirit. Help us to live in obedience to your commands and surrendered to your call on our lives. We are your slaves. May it be to us as you have said. This we pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.